friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Hello, 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 and sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. A very happy Friday to you all, and many thanks for joining us today. And let's start off the show with the upcoming FIFA World Cup that kicks off next month. This year, the Cup will make history when it kicks off for the first time in the Middle Eastern country of Qatar. And as VOS Gwen Uten reports, referees are set to make more history on the pitch and in an already unprecedented World Cup tournament. Sporty greetings to you, Gwen, and happy Friday! Sporty greetings, Jackson! 32 teams have secured their spot in the upcoming World Cup in Qatar, and athletes and fans can now prepare to celebrate the start of the tournament one day earlier than originally planned. FIFA has confirmed that the World Cup will begin on November 20th instead of November 21st. And while players and coaches have begun putting in the hard work ahead of the tournament, referees and match officials across the globe have have been put to the test to ensure smooth and successful competitions on the pitch. Over the summer, FIFA organized three-day seminars that were held in Doha, Qatar, Paraguay's capital, Asuncion, and Madrid in Spain. All 129 tournament officials took part in theoretical classes and online training sessions that simulated live matches. Pierluigi Colina is the chairman of FIFA FIFA's referee committee. He explains the sessions help prepare referees to be less reliant on VAR technology. Our objective is uh, to, uh, to prepare the referee as best as possible uh, to avoid uh, to use uh, the technology. But the technology is there to, to avoid that uh, uh, a mistake uh, is committed. Uh, even the best referee can commit a mistake, he's a human being, we know it, uh, and uh, that's why we, we implemented uh, a, a system using tools uh, that uh, can really reduce uh, the, the possibility that uh, a human mistake can affect uh, the outcome of a match. And FIFA refereeing director Massimo Busaka adds, each seminar provided a way for referees and match officials from all six confederations to train together. It's like a football team. They have to prepare everything perfectly to arrive also very well prepared in the most important competition we have in sports. So here uh, we analyze situation, we discuss about concept, topics, and whatever really to, to be on the same page. Like a player who wants to win the game, who wants to score a goal, have to understand exactly what, uh, what you have to do. And for us, preparation is crucial. This year's tournament will make history as the first to take place in the Middle East, the first to be held in the winter at the end of the calendar year, and the first to feature female referees in the Men's World Cup tournament. In 2020, French referee Stephanie Frappar made football history when she became the first woman to officiate at a Men's UEFA Champions League match. And she became the first woman to referee a Men's 
men's French Cup final in August. Now, Frapar is preparing to make her World Cup debut in Qatar alongside Yoshimi Yamashita, who has become Japan's first female professional football referee, and Salima Mukansanga of Rwanda, who made history as the first woman to referee a match in the Africa Cup of Nations earlier this year. Stephanie Frapar says breaking ground in the sport has prepared the women to take charge in the upcoming World Cup tournament. We won a lot because uh, every game is uh, it's a training for us. It's also more experience, uh, more management with the players. So every game, every year, we improve a lot. So I think we will be ready for the World Cup. After the new start date of the tournament was announced, FIFA issued a statement that read, FIFA World Cup 2022 will kick off with an even greater celebration for local and international fans as host country Qatar will now play Ecuador as part of a standalone event. And we are less than two months away from that match and the start of this year's Qatar World Cup set to begin one day earlier on Sunday, November 20th, and conclude on December 18th. And that is all from me, Jackson. Back over to you. Thank you so much, Gwen, and happy Friday. So as we look forward to the games to begin next month in Qatar, we asked you all to tell us about your favorite teams and which country you think will win the World Cup. This is what you had to say. As usual, it must be Spain. I think it's Spain. I support England. But it's supposed to be Spain because it plays well and nice. Uh, my name is Mera Ali. Uh, the predictions about World Cup, what I know World Cup, the, the country that last time that took the, the cup that is not going to take it again this time. Because what I know, they have made changes in every country. And we know that every country, the bowlers that they were having, they have grown up. Uh, as a fan, an African, first of all, I will go with Senegal. But aside from Senegal, we'll go with Argentina. I'm a Messi fan. So that, those are two, my two prediction teams to take the World Cup. By the name, I'm Mkolo Hero Steven. Uh, yeah, I think German will take it. Yeah, the, the way I'm thinking. Mm, because they have so many, a lot of players. Well, first of all, uh, I, I like German. By the way, I'm a German fan. Uh, I like German. That's why I was predicting that maybe they will take the trophy. Many thanks to you all for your opinions. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Now, Africa is the world's youngest continent with much of the population under the age of 25. And studies show that by the year 2050, one young person in every four will be African. This significant demographic factor is evidence that sports can provide an avenue for the millions of young people to escape the economic marginalization by many around the continent. But as experts say, to realize this potential, it will require an unprecedented investment in local sports leagues. Kelvin Twitzer is the director of the Jackson Group, a marketing agency based in Tanzania. He tells me that this underlying potential of Africa's sports industry is affirmed by the expansion across Africa of local and foreign sports leagues into households via television broadcast arrangements like Supersports signing broadcasting rights with the Football Association of Zambia, Econet Media's deal to broadcast over 500 NBA and WNBA games each season, 
and many other such deals across the continent. I reached Kelvin in Tanzania for a conversation on what else needs to be done to realize the potential of Africa's sports economy. Kelvin, thank you so much for joining us here on the sunny side of sports. Reports say that the sports economy on the continent combined with the enormous potential of the continent's athletes, the young population, I think Africa is the youngest continent, could be a powerful factor in accelerating economic growth and social development. Uh, In your opinion, as a person who has been part of this for a while, what needs to be done to activate this potential? I think uh, at the end of the day, for us to be able to activate this potential, we have to align and uh, identify what are the challenges and the gaps within the sports industry as a whole. So I look at countries like Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, and the rest of the East African bloc. There's a very big challenge in terms of uh, enabling factors for success in sports. And uh, these can be ranging anywhere from infrastructure, policies, as well as uh, building a bridge between sports and corporate sponsorship, or rather seeing sports as an investment, rather than seeing it as something that you walk around saying, can you please help me because we have a team that needs to go somewhere and play. Those good old days are ending slowly, but then there has to be more intentional uh, decisions made when it comes to policy as well as investment, both for government and private sector, to ensure that we get the most out of sports, where now if you look globally, the NBA, the NFL, the EPL, or even if you look at rugby, whether you're looking at uh, Europe, Asia, as well as other countries, even cricket in India, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Now, one of the things of that has always baffled me when I travel on the continent is I find so many people in bars watching uh, sports leagues like uh, the Premier League in England and uh, the NBA and other foreign sports leagues. Um, You know, they're very much, uh, I guess, dedicated and committed to these, uh, you know, these teams uh, to the point where it's almost like a religion. And if a team like Arsenal, Barcelona, or whatever is playing the, you know, in a specific city where you have a fan base, uh, the city is on a standstill. On the flip side of that is that when a local team is playing, it doesn't attract the same kind of fan base, uh, local fan base. But how do you explain the fact that more people on the continent consume sports from other continents? And how can that be changed? How can we change this dynamic? When you look at it from on the surface, it looks like that. But if you, you decide to go to particular geography and go deeper, you find that it's a bit different one market to another. So, again, when we talk about investment enabling factors for allowing local sports to thrive, one, I will not dispute that uh, most Africans across most of the Anglophone countries are very much interested in the EPL with the Francophone following up the French League ETC. But then when you look more into a country like uh, Kenya uh, or Tanzania, the dynamics are so different. Um, in Tanzania today, you have Azam Premier League. So, as, sorry, Azam is a broadcaster. Now, Azam does at least five games of the local league every, every, every week. So when you talk about five games a week across the geography of Tanzania, that is quite exciting. So people are actually subscribing more in terms of numbers to Azam where they are watching those games. There's something called Vibanda Omiza, those small, small viewing stations. It's very big. Most of the local pubs, sports bars, have had to adapt to Azam because in some cases, even some of the big European leagues may not be on DSTV. There is on Azam. 
So Asda is a business, one of the key drivers for their subscription is the local heat. And when you look at how much money they are really putting into it, if I'm not mistaken, for 10 years, they've decided to put almost $50 million. This is money going for broadcast, right? And it's money trickling down to the teams that are playing the NBC Premier. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming more and more exciting. Is, and is this a that, new phenomenon? Is, is this something that is kind of new to the market? It started about 2013 when, the, when, when they came in on board and uh, launched Azam Broadcast. And when they did, that's the first move they made. They got into the football scene and actually produce and air local games on a regular basis, which is not a phenomenon available in other countries. Seven years ago, the, the South African broadcasting uh, giant, uh, I guess the, the sport, super sport is called, they, they signed yeah. a million dollar worth, uh, I think it's a deal that uh, worth a million dollars per year with the local football association in Zambia. Uh, for their broadcasting rights. I know we had a little bit of this conversation yesterday. Um, wh- yeah. What other deals of this nature exist? You talked about Azam uh, in East Africa, uh, but what are some of the lessons for you as a marketer to draw from this arrangement between uh, Supersport and the, the Football Association of Zambia? I think the case of Zambia is very unique. Um, Zambia, Zambians are more into their local league than they are on international leagues. And part of it is the success of having infrastructure and engagement at the community level. So when you have a team like Red Arrows in Zambia playing, uh, people actually go to the stadium. There's a football economy that exists there. Not as valuable as the one in Tanzania today, if you're talking about sponsorship amounts that the Yanga and Simba will command. But it's always been lively. It's always been active. So if you're a broadcaster, you don't want to be left out where someone like Star Time or someone like Azam can come in and pick up the league, which would be a big... Uh, acquisition uh, driver for them to capture that. So Supersports was at some point in Nigeria with the league. They were in. Uh, they were also in uh, in Kenya, but they decided to pull back in terms of the local leagues. But for Zambia, they couldn't afford to lose that market, and they were. I would say it just made business sense for them to be part of it. So if you go and look, you see that the Zambia league are featured on uh, on Supersports as the main broadcaster, and it's value for money. So if I'm an advertiser in Zambia, you know, I know that the games are watched not only in Zambia, but I also see the games if I want to watch them from this because it's part of the what they call the rest of Africa okay. feed. Yeah. Yes, it's part of the package. They are slotted within the, the super sports uh, bouquet, depending on when and what you're watching at that particular time. Mm. So it clearly shows that there is value. But then again, the other challenge will be, for example, in Tanzania, only as of two years ago, Azam has gone ahead and started investing into floodlights in the stadiums. So the games can be aired at 7 p.m., even 9 p.m. if you want, which means you have more eyeballs watching the game. So if I'm sponsoring the team, my jersey can be seen, perimeter boards can be seen. We also get to see the players. You are entertained at a time when you're not uh, trying to earn your, your, your living because in some countries like Kenya, uh, until uh, pre-COVID time, I was warming up, there was no broadcaster. Even if there was, the games were played during the day. This can be a case where you don't have facilities that have floodlights apart from a few national stadiums. So it becomes one of those things where... An issue of infrastructure. Exactly. Mm. Now, in Zambia, they have amazing stadiums uh, spread across the country. In South Africa, we don't even want to talk about it because it's a massive economy as a whole. South African players, you need to give them a big incentive to leave South Africa. You have a team sponsored by Audi. Every player gets a car every year. While in some countries, you barely get $1,000 salary to right. the team. You're a main star. So all these things, it comes back to 
we know the lessons. We know what works and what makes it work. And somewhere, somehow, someone has to decide to do these things. It's a collective effort. Private, public, as well as policymakers have to come together. That was Kelvin Twisa, a sports marketing strategist and director of the Jackson Group. I reached him in Tanzania. For more on my conversation with Kelvin Twisa, visit our website at voaafrica.com. You can also check it out on Facebook at Sunnyside of Sports. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Sporty greetings, everyone. This is Ambassador Mary Onyal, Olympic medalist, five-time African champion in the sprint event. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Hello, sports fans. This is Paul Tergat, marathon champion from Kenya. You are listening to the Sony side of sports on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Hello. This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends, breakout artists, new releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and the artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. And welcome back. This is the sunny side of sports. I'm Jackson Vungani. And let's go to Abuja, Nigeria, where Samson Omali joins us with the sports roundup. Sporty greetings to you, Samson, and a happy Friday to you, my friend. Sporty Friday greetings to you too, Jackson. We'll begin the wrap of Africa sports action for this weekend with the second round of preliminary marches in the CAF Champions League scheduled to take place this weekend across various venues on the continent. The only game on Friday will see El Marik of Sudan take on Al Tripoli of Libya at the El Obiad Stadium. There are four matches slated to take place on Saturday and 10 games scheduled for Sunday. The defending champions Wider Athletic Club will start the road towards retaining their title with a tie against Nigeria's Rivers United at the Adeoki Amesimaka Stadium in Port Harcourt. Wydad clinched the title last season after victory over holders Al Hockley and with a new coach, they will be keen to make it back-to-back titles. Rivers United players Joseph Onoja and Ebu Beduru both agreed that the Moroccan side are one of the best teams on the continent, but assured of their preparedness to win the match. We know what's at stake. We are not thinking about our opponents, we are thinking about ourselves. We know what we can do as far as we are concerned, we are the champions of Nigeria and we have to play like champions. No disrespect to them, they are a very good side and they are the defending champions. And we know for the past years now, the North African team, they have been giving us problems. But we have our game plans and we have training program and all the tactics involved. And as a team, we are determined to give all our best and make sure we get the desired victory. Elsewhere, record champions Al Hartley will come up against Tunisia's U.S. Monastery on the North African Derby. Al Hartley were exempted from the first preliminary round and they will start the journey to battle for the title back in Tunisia. Asperon Sportive de Tunis arrived at Abuja on Thursday to face Plata United of Joss. Fidelis Ilechuku is the coach of the Nigerian side. We have prepared the team very well. We know it's going to be a very tough game playing against a high-experienced side. Team with so much uh, quality and records. 
CONCACAF Champions League. But notwithstanding, anything can happen in football. We know it's going to be a very tough game come Sunday, but we do our best to make sure we get positive results. Tanzania's young Africans will welcome Al Hilal of Sudan in what appears to be a scintillating fixture involving two clubs from the Sakafa region. Elsewhere, 16-time Angolan Grabola champions Petro Duluanda will be looking to replicate their splendid performance against Cape Town City of South Africa. And in South Africa, La Passe FC of Seychelles will be at the Loftus Versfield Stadium in Swane, where they will take on Mamelodi Sundowns. Sundowns co-coach is Rolani Mokwena. We try as, as best as we possibly can to be people who are optimists and positive with our thinking. We are speaking a lot now, every single day, about positivity, positive mentality, positive uh, behavior on the pitch. Uh, and that means forward passes, forward runs. Away from the CAF Champions League marches, the FIFA forward program in conjunction with the Liberian Football Association has refurbished the Antoinette Tilban Stadium and has constructed the head offices for the Liberian National Football Association. The new headquarters of the Liberian Football Association will allow the federation to run all its activities from a single location and to make the most of all its resources. Mustafa Raji, Liberian Football Association president, says the FIFA forward program has changed the dynamics of Liberian football, including sporting infrastructure in the country. Thanks to the FIFA Council for approving and introducing the FIFA Forward Program, a program that have uh, transitioned and uh, changed the dynamics in Liberian football and infrastructure development in our country. Jody Reed Stetton, Liberian Football Association third vice president and head of the women's football department, appealed to FIFA to make funding of such projects continuous, especially when they impact on the women's football development positively. It's important that FIFA continue to support the FA, especially the women's football division, to create standards to have more girls coming to play. The lights have grown beauty to the night games. And you know, people come from work in the evening, they are here, the girls play under the light, they are excited to play during the, 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 the evening hours because you know somebody have in school. Staying with football news, Senegal retained their number one position in Africa and 18th in the world in the latest FIFA men's ranking for the month of September. They are followed by second place Morocco, who also moved one place in the world to number 22nd. Tunisia maintained its position as the third best team in Africa, but 30th in the world, while the Super Eagles of Nigeria dropped one place to occupy the fourth position in Africa, but 31st in the world, while Algeria leapfrogged Egypt to complete the top five places in Africa. In women football news, South Africa women national football team Banyana Banyana are in London for an international friendly march against Australia on Saturday. Banyana Banyana, who won their maiden calf Women's African Cup of Nations in Morocco in July, were humbled in a 9-0 aggregate defeat by Brazil last month in two friendlies. The South Africans will continue their preparations for next year's World Cup with a match against host Australia. Coach Destry Ellis says she expected a tough test against the 12th-ranked Australian team, but added that her players needed to trust in their own abilities in order to get a good result. You know, um, we have a fantastic striker in Sam Kerr, so it will severely test our defence. Um, but it's another opportunity for players to test. It's also an opportunity to test players. Um, you know, we speak about who we take with us on our journey. It's very important that we start, you know, settling on a core group um, as soon as possible. But the door is never closed for that 
players that will wow you. Linda Zwane is the South African Football Association first vice president. He believes the Australian friendly will help serve as a foretaste of what the team should expect during the World Cup. You need a, a different kind of uh, competition uh, so that you can gauge yourself uh, towards the World Cup. What is very important is that uh, you, you, you need to then see uh, and prepare the players because what is important is that uh, players should be prepared in terms of what kind of uh, opponents are they going to face when they arrive at the World Cup. And now to boxing. Commonwealth super lightweight champion Kenyan Sarah Achieng says she is in tip-top shape ahead of her 10-round WIBF title bout against former World Boxing Council champion Melissa Hernandez of Puerto Rico, slated for October 21st at the Canavera Grounds. It will be the first time the two pugilists will be facing each other in a title bout. Achieng has fought 16 times, winning 14 fights with 7 knockouts and 7 on points and 2 losses. The Kenyan boxer hopes that her streak of good performances will be a gateway to more international matches. These are the platform and opportunity that we have been looking for. So I think through this fight that is coming on 21st of October, it is going to bring, it is going to open a bigger door uh, for me to go and uh, fight internationally. In netball news, the She Cranes, Ugandan national women netball team, suffered defeat in the opening game of the three-test series against England's Vitality Roses. In the game played on Wednesday at the Model Point Arena in Nottingham, England, the English team secured a 60-51 win over Uganda. Voice of America! Sunny side of sports continues. I'm Jackson Vungani. The city of Goma in the east of the DRC hosted last week the fourth edition of the basketball tournament Kivu Stars International. The objective of this mini competition which brought together this year the DRC, Rwanda and Burundi is to preach peace through sport. Zanem Netizaidi reports from the DRC. This basketball competition aimed to promote peace and peaceful cohabitation between peoples of the Great Lakes region plagued by armed conflicts for several decades and which have been accentuated by the resurgence of the M23, a rebellion accused of being supported by neighboring Rwanda according to Congolese authorities. The organizers hope to get the message of peace across through this tournament and thus young people will present themselves as a solution to the conflicts. Charles Lukongo is one of the organizers of the competition. He says that this competition brought together several young people from the region, coming from several countries. These young people shared the values of peace in a region where there is insecurity. He says that with basketball, it is possible to preach peace. The tournament brought together 10 teams, ladies and gentlemen, from the city of Bukavu and Goma in DRC and other cities in Rwanda and Burundi. For the athletes, this initiative comes at the right time while diplomatic tensions are not at a good level between the DRC and Rwanda. They call all the peoples of the Great Lakes region to unity, as did Thierry Chitona from Rwanda. He says that he is very happy 
to have participated in this competition and he congratulates the initiators of these tournaments. He says that it is a great event for the countries of the Great Lakes region. He thinks that it is really a beautiful initiative to encourage and he wishes that this competition is organized every year. Several young people from different districts of the city of Goma, the city where the competition was held, came to attend the opening of this competition, which also aims to bring together the communities of the Great Lakes sub-region around the respect of human rights and tolerance. It was an opportunity for the participants to call on the authorities to follow in the footsteps of young people in the restoration of peace. Gaetan Kombi is one of them. He said that there is no real conflict between the Congolese population and the Rwandan population and even less between the Congolese population and the Burundian population. The conflicts are political conflicts and through this competition the world can see how young people are united and cultivate a climate of peace. This is the first time that the city of Goma is hosting this competition. The three previous editions were played in Bukavu. The initiators intend to organize the next edition in another country of the Great Lakes region beyond the DRC. For the sunny side of sports, I'm Zanem Netizaidi in Goma, DRC. And that wraps up this edition of the sunny side of sports. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Remember to connect with us on all social media platforms, especially on Facebook and on Twitter. To catch up on previous episodes, visit our website at DOAAfrica.com. Until next time, have a great weekend, Africa. I get it.